Hello everyone, I'm Al Del Deegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators and Big Ideas podcast. We're supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is hosted by Peter Bodine. Peter manages strategy and partnerships for an innovative alliance of energy companies committed to reducing environmental impacts through collaborative R&D efforts. Peter worked for more than 20 years in Asia, building and investing in a variety of businesses. His most recent role outside of Canada was with the World Wildlife Fund, where he was the chief executive officer of WWF China, based in Beijing. Prior to that, Peter lived in Hong Kong for 15 years, working in the technology industry. You're about to listen to Peter's conversation with John Vardalos. Go ahead, Peter. Welcome. My name is Peter Bodway, and I'm your host of this episode of the Rainforest Podcast. My guest today is John Vardalos, who's the founder and CEO of J5, as well as founder of the Social Impact Lab. Welcome, John. Thanks for having me. For listeners who don't know uh, about who you are, could you tell us a bit about your career journey? Okay. Uh, well, five years ago, I started a, a consulting company called J5, which is really a kind of design and innovation company mm -hmm. that's focuses on helping medium to large size organizations kind of think about their business models, think about think about the value propositions that they're providing to their customers, mm -hmm. and kind of help them, you know, test kind of new solutions, new ideas, and kind of work through that what we call the hairball of uncertainty mm -hmm. uh, when kind of when you're at the early stages of an idea. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of those those feelings that people's get around, you know, is this the right thing? Should we be doing this? Yeah. Uh, our our philosophy with that is that the people that know best around should you do it are your customers. Mm -hmm. And so um, bringing that kind of prototyping capability to organizations, mm -hmm. um, we found has really helped them kind of more quickly launch new ventures, new services, and and new business models. So um, what brought me to that though was you know my I guess my career path, which started. Uh, as a salesperson, mm -hmm. you know, my, my first job at a university was in sales, uh, which taught me at a very kind of young point in my career that, you know, uh, how to build a relationship with a customer and how to how to solve problems by kind of listening to, you know, the things that customers are trying to either fix, accomplish or avoid in their business. Mm -hmm. And that kind of really stayed with me um, throughout my entire career. And so I I started in kind of product sales. My first the first company I worked at was with Xerox. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I learned a lot of the foundational things in my career through that experience. Uh, from there, I, I moved into technology and I started to kind of sell in the software space, uh, which kind of like challenged me kind of in a different way because I had to start to understand kind of the technology landscape and how technology was an enabler mm -hmm. uh, for businesses. And then from there, I ended up getting into consulting and I, I finished my kind of um, pre-entrepreneurship career with uh, Ernst & Young okay. and really starting to cut my teeth on management consulting and uh, services. And that's really where I really found my passion uh, for problem solving because, you know, in the consulting world, you're not bound necessarily by a, a product or a specific service. You can really, um, you can, you can really be free to kind of understand a problem and have the confidence to know that you've got all sorts of services and people with expertise that you can bring to that problem. And so... I really, uh, through that, developed a love of, of consulting. And from there, I knew that at some point, I wanted to kind of go out on my own and really be able to kind of, you know, paint whatever kind of scenario I wanted to paint for a customer. Because even, even though, you know, Ernst & Young has a very 
um, diverse consulting practice, advisory, you know, all sorts of really interesting places. Mm-hmm. Um, I still felt like, you know, there were certain things that I wanted to explore that were a little bit more unique to my own interests around, you know, disruption mm-hmm. and kind of some of these kind of emerging things that were, that were on the horizon for companies that, that these companies didn't fully understand yet, mm-hmm. but needed to start experimenting with. Mm-hmm. So that's why I started J5. Great. So can you tell us, like you moved to entrepreneurship from Big Five Consulting Firm. When you made that decision, you saw there was an opportunity, right? You, you know, yep. you sort of, so what was the biggest criteria in making that decision? Because, you know, you're, you had a great opportunity with the Big Five, you were moving forward. So what weighed in that decision? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, I think that it's one of those things that I actually discovered about myself after I started my own business. I actually didn't go into it uh, with this um, with this in my mind, but it was a realization that just happened. I realized that throughout my career, I was taking somebody else's product or service or vision for the future, and I was helping them kind of sell that vision. And what was really missing for me was the the process of creating something. Uh, from nothing. So, you know, when I started J5, I had a small little office on 17th Avenue, um, you know, in a Regis, you know, executive, okay. executive uh, space. It was a small room and I showed up to it and I'll never forget that, you know, there was a phone on the table and nothing else. And, you know, all the companies that I'd worked at had really large marketing departments. And, you know, you show up on day one, like here's your computer, you know, here's your onboarding package, you know, here's all these amazing resources and things to help you be successful. And here's all the products and things that we sell. Um, and it, you know, at a firm like Ernst & Young, you can get lost in that. There's just unlimited things you could be selling. But when I started at J5, there was, there was nothing. It was just a desk. And I had to kind of start over. And I had to create everything. And it really made me realize um, that sense of accomplishment, that when I did find a customer that was interested in something, and then I had to create the thing, yeah. and I had to create the the process to deliver that thing mm-hmm. and just having being able to wear all those hats yeah. and be able to really stretch myself to do things that I'd never really done before and learn those things was really exciting for me. And that's that's what I what I love the most about building and running a business because those things kind of never end as we continue to get bigger. Yeah. It's just new things we have to figure out. And, you know, thank God we have more people uh, that can bring uh, bring you know, specific expertise in some of those areas. But, you know, inside of J5, at least, there's that that culture of we're always all trying to learn and trying to figure things out. And we're trying to never be comfortable. And uh, yeah, it's it's great. Great. So I know you started J5 in, in 2013. And when we think back then, it was $90 a barrel. Things were going well. And then soon the downturn hit, right? With everyone being, yep. being uh, impacted. And as a startup, you're in a very challenging position. So can you tell us how your, your team weathered the storm, right? And what, what did you do as you came out of it? Yeah, so like you said, 2013 was, that was a good year mm-hmm. to, start, to start a business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because coming from a large consulting organization that was usually focused on the largest companies, you know, my context was selling to very large organizations. You know, so when I, you know, I think a lot of people when they start a small business, uh, their tendency is to start small. Mm-hmm. Uh, that includes even the customers that they're they're calling upon. You know, it gives them confidence. You know, to kind of build slowly. Mm-hmm. But my context was, you know, building relationships with very senior leaders in large organizations. So that's where I started naturally. So it took me a little bit of time, but I was able to secure 
uh, a very large oil and gas company uh, as a cust- as my first customer and a pretty pretty strategic and transformational project mm-hmm. which I staffed up with people that I knew mm-hmm. uh, that were that acted as contractors that could come in and help and um, it started us off you know in a place that at that time made me feel like we were unstoppable you know we had a pretty significant amount of uh, monthly recurring revenues and we had a really strong team we were delivering great work and I just felt like because of that, because of the early success we had with with oil and gas, that we should really double down on that. And, you know, at the time in 2013, you know, I think for the most part, most people were thinking that, you know, that was the way to go. That was that was what had built Calgary and what has made Calgary amazing. And there's uh, amazing companies in that space. And uh, then, you know, a couple of years later in 2015, things started to change. and. Uh, that that one company that was our largest customer started really kind of looking for cost reduction opportunities. And the first place they started was a lot of the consultants that they had hired, you know, really kind of um, get their costs back in order. And our work with them immediately stopped. And I had a whole bunch of employees working for me and I had a lot of costs. Payroll to make. And, I had payroll yep. to make and I had some really tough decisions to make because um, – you know, I, I didn't necessarily want to lay these people off because not only were they delivering, but they were helping us build our methodology. They were helping us, you know, build, you know, all of the things that have become what we are today. And if I wouldn't have had those people and I would have let them go, I feel like I wouldn't have been able to get to where we are today. So, uh, but payroll is really expensive when you're a, a small company. And uh, we went into some debt and we started, you know, I started to get very nervous. So, you know, I get... Um, I remember my wife, uh, I came home one day and my wife looked at me and she said, is that what you look like during the day when you're at the office? And I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, you look petrified, you know, and I'll never forget that uh, because I was wearing it on my face, Mm -hmm. you know. And uh, and so anyway, so we we stepped back from that and we said, "Okay, we can we can bury our head in the sand or we can figure out how to get out of this mess. And, you know, um, we could try to figure out how to reduce our costs. Uh, or we could find new customers. And I'm a growth-minded person, so my first gut reaction is not to flight, it's to fight. Mm -hmm. And so I said, let's get some new customers. And uh, we started getting out there and talking to people and and really spending a lot of our time trying to just hustle and get out there and let people know what we're doing. And uh, we managed to get uh, a great project at the Calgary Airport Authority. Fortunately, they were building their new terminal and they were looking to uh, looking for some help around some of the uh, passenger experience projects, uh, which is a great fit for our type of work. And we ended up getting a project with Shaw Communications to help them as well on a on an employee experience project. And that really opened to our eyes that you know what, uh, oil and gas is not the only industry in this in this province or in this city. And um, maybe we just weren't looking hard enough. And so since that time, uh, we've continued to work with oil and gas. But what's really helped us uh, in terms of a pivot was starting to focus on um, all sorts of industries that share this common problem of managing uncertainty and that hairball of trying to figure out what to do next. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So one of your latest ventures is the uh, Social Impact Lab. And uh, you just opened your space March 12th. And really, this is really a unique business model. Mm-hmm. So uh, can you tell us more about the uh, the Social Impact Lab? Yeah. So we have basically, the Social Impact Lab is a, is a, 
uh, collaboration between J5 and United Way of Calgary. And the way that this thing started is um, the CEO of United Way of Calgary, Karen Young, was starting to think about innovation and design thinking as tools that perhaps they could start to bring into their own organization as a kind of larger transformation that they were looking at. And I was connected to her through my mentor, uh, who was actually her brother. Mm -hmm. And uh, I sat down with Karen and we had an unbelievable conversation about the social sector in general and the need for the social sector to take advantage of the same types of methodologies and tools that the corporate sector was starting to take advantage of in terms of you know, innovation, design thinking, and innovation labs, and mm-hmm. um, environments that they could create for employees and their own customers to come in and co-create new solutions. And, and also to um, recognize that the agencies that the United Way is funding are doing extremely important work in the community, delivering services. Yeah. And, but there also has to be a place for those agencies and other organizations and people to be able to come to think about new things. Mm-hmm. Because most people that run businesses or run programs know that, you know, how hard it is to be able to, to go in every day and deliver on that thing that you're accountable for delivering. You know, to expect that people are also going to be able to make time and figure out how to launch new things, which takes different processes and mindsets. That's 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 a different way of working, yeah. uh, and both are extremely valuable. But Karen recognized, and I think I recognized as well, that that what if the United Way, with all the relationships they have in the community with agencies and government and corporate workplaces, what if they created a place that they could gather those people and leverage design thinking as a methodology to help those people come together and, and create new solutions to kind of older uh, systemic type problems. And so we created this innovation lab, which is the social impact lab. And it's a 6,000 square foot space right on Stephen Avenue. And um, we run a few different programs out of it. Um, the, first, the first program is a program called Inspire, which is designed to provide these tools and resources to agencies that the United Way funds to give them the opportunity to get out of their spaces and come into the, come into the social impact lab and start to work on projects. So it's not a place to come learn about design thinking. It's a place to come and actually apply design thinking on their business. So that's a really important distinction for us in terms of how we transform organizations and how we build culture. We don't think culture and transformation happens through PowerPoint decks and studies and benchmarking. Those things are important, but the real transformation comes by allowing people to work in this way and make mistakes and figure it out and try things and get coached and guided through it so that they can become more comfortable. And then over time, their maturity goes up and they can start to create those breakthrough things. Great. Yeah. So so one of the first issues, major issues that I understand the Social Impact Lab is delving into is youth mental health services and support. And, and this is a big issue. There's lots of players, government health services, various charities. Uh, big private or large private providers, et cetera. So can you tell us a bit about what role is the Social Impact Lab playing to improve mental health services? Yes, the, it, very exciting because I think that everyone, you know, as a father uh, with with children and all my friends that have children as well, you know, we're all thinking about these types of things, the anxiety, the the things today like 
um, social media and all these kind of different things that are that are affecting younger people and their mindsets and then starting to think about well what services are out there to to help them so when we looked at that problem uh, that wicked challenge I guess uh, through a different lens and started to think about you know what are maybe some ways rather than you know treating it that we might be able to prevent it so we started doing some research into those bigger systems like Alberta Health Services and where uh, and even in the agencies uh, in the United Way agencies and the other agencies out there you know where was the focus and most of the focus we saw was was going into treating it not necessarily preventing it yeah. and and we said okay well maybe this is an opportunity in an area that we can focus on so rather than than piling on to all the great things that are already happening to help these higher acuity cases what if we could start to kind of move into that white space of prevention and apply innovation in that space and so that's the place that we kind of uh, have focused our energy and our thinking in terms of how can we maybe prevent these things from from becoming bigger problems down the line. Okay. Well, and youth mental health, health issues really have big impacts on the family, like you said, right? That's the big issue. Can you tell us about what are the mothers and fathers and other family members saying about these the mental health issues when their their siblings or other family members have? Yeah, so we are... In, inside the Social Impact Lab, we've basically identified four potential solutions. And we're now at a place where we're prototyping those solutions and we're inviting people into the lab, um, different people that might be able to help us in terms of accelerate those solutions, as well as uh, funders and philanthropists and corporations that might be interested in potentially funding those things so that we can, we can turn them from prototypes and concepts into actual real solutions. Okay. And one of those solutions is actually about enabling the natural supports. So one of the things that um, we've, through our research and through all the focus groups and getting out into the community and talking to people with lived experience, is that um, almost every younger person, when they're experiencing these, these kind of issues in their lives, they typically have someone that they trust that they go to. Now, depending on their age and kind of the severity of how they're feeling. It might be their coach. It might be their parent. It might be their friend. It might be an uncle. It might be a teacher. It could be a multitude of people. But we've realized through our research and talking to those people that most of those people actually don't know what to do. Yeah. Right. So the design challenge becomes what if we could enable those natural supports with the right tools and um, the right resources so that they could help that person versus maybe either not helping them or maybe helping them in the wrong way or maybe directing them to the wrong resource. You know, we found that uh, one of the places that people go when they're experiencing mental health issues is the emergency clinic. Mm -hmm. And the emergency clinic is not necessarily designed mm -hmm. to be able to, you know, help that person figure out where's the, you know, uh, where's the right place for them to go. Um, and so, one of the solutions that we're working on right now is is a, a toolkit that basically can be delivered to people that are the people that the young, younger person with um, anxiety or depression is coming to uh, for help. And so it's a it's a it's a it's a toolkit to enable that person to be able to help the person coming to them. That's great. That's great. So how, you know, when you, you think about this, the toolkit, what does a pilot look like for something like this? Because obviously that's a great idea. The tech, you know, the hard part is in testing that. So what does a pilot like that look like? Yeah. So 
you know, design thinking is such a wonderful process because it's really about co-creation. So in the traditional way of, of building products and services, you know, companies will go into this heavy research phase and they will make a whole bunch of assumptions around what they believe their customer, in this case, the person that is experiencing mental health, wants or needs. Then they go on a long journey of building technologies, building marketing, um, only to release it, you know, down the road after spending a whole bunch of time and money to realize that maybe that actually wasn't the right thing. Uh, design thinking is a process of co-creation where the people that we're designing for are involved in the design process itself. So the beautiful thing about where we're at is that we actually already have the customer working with us. So when we talk about a pilot, we are piloting right now. It's not something that happens later. It's it's happening right now because we are actually building this product with them. So, you know, these focus groups that we do, these um, these these communities that we're building, the people we're engaging with, they aren't just a point in time. They are they're involved in this thing and are we are constantly co-creating with them. So it changes the idea of a pilot. You know, this idea of you're always building, you're always measuring, you're always learning. Well, in a sense, you're you're constantly piloting and you're just scaling with those people over time and you're leveraging them to help um, drive referrals and they start bringing people that they know into the system. And we, as as those people come in, we scale up that solution uh, as as we go. And that right there is one of the things that our customers, both in the nonprofit sector and the corporate sector, sector struggle with. Yeah. The scaling. The yeah. scaling and 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 the showing unfinished work to the customer, right? The tendency is to polish everything up and make it look beautiful and spend a lot of money making it perfect versus prototyping things and showing unfinished work and actually allowing your customer in real time help you kind of take that to a place that actually meets their real unmet need. Yeah. Well, I want to explore that a bit because, I mean, part of the strength of the Social Impact Lab and the J5 model is really to helping organizations re reimagine their business, right? Help them change, et cetera. So once they, they envision this, you know, they, they sort of get their head around it. You've run some workshops, et cetera. It's the implementation, right? Of getting them to try and, and move into that phase of, you know, bringing the most, you know, an immediate product to market. How do you get them to do that? So what are some of the biggest challenges you face then in dealing with customers regarding testing these, these products that aren't yet finished or as well that implementation model? Yeah. So I think the traditional approach is that companies invest a whole bunch of time and money in building strategies. And then once they've developed those strategies, they move to an implementation. And I think top performing organizations are investing in design. And design is the piece between the strategy and the implementation where you're really validating, does your strategy actually solve a problem for a customer before you scale it and implement it? It's really that experimentation that needs to happen. I would say that a lot of organizations in this market are not embracing design like maybe they could be. And I think that is changing. I think people are starting to recognize that design-centric organizations are typically build better relationships with customers, launch products faster, um, you know, are more efficient in terms of operationally because people are focused on things that actually really matter. There's not a lot of rework. So I think starting to think about design as something companies need to always be doing, that's number one. I think we're starting to see more of it. We need to see more. 
on the the front end of the strategy side, I think, you know, back to our principles of strategy, we believe that strategy is something you should do and you should do the least amount of it possible uh, until you get the senior leadership or the departmental leadership in the organization aligned and bought in to do something. Because inevitably what happens, that strategy is half right and half wrong all the time. Mm -hmm. And so what we need to do is, is test that strategy as quickly as possible with customers and employees to see if they'll actually adopt it. So for us, we think strategy needs to happen faster, it needs to be cheaper, and it has to be done more frequently. And from an implementation side, you know, once we design and we identify problems worth solving, and we validated that customers do want this new service or new product or new business model, then we have to start to also enable a more agile way of scaling things up. And I think that's not necessarily an area where we're focused, uh, but we do see a lot of organizations starting to invest in agile methodologies and starting to, um, you know, as they're implementing, starting to, you know, apply that more iterative way of constantly adapting and iterating their solutions at scale. So a lot of the organizations that we work with are starting to build agile centers of excellence. They're starting to invest in these things, which is fantastic. Yeah. You know, our our focus though is more ensuring that that senior leaders and companies are are focused on the right things that matter to their customers. They're thinking about those external environments and how it's changing and and investing in those things. And then um, making sure that they are running experiments and validating that those strategies are actually the ones, the things that they should be scaling. Great. Thanks for that. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the innovation ecosystem, right? So I did want to ask about, can you tell about tell us a little bit about your involvement in the rainforest? As J5 and as the Social Impact Lab, we have had a few different encounters with the rainforest. The rainforest has been actually into our space before and shared with us kind of what their what their approach is and what they're trying to do in terms of driving, you know, more collaboration and more engagement among the different groups. Um, so we've we've had them in. We've we've been we we're aware of what they do. I wouldn't say we're necessarily um, deeply engaged with them, but we very much align in terms of our, um, we have a shared vision, I think, of how can we create these communities and get people more focused on the mindset that's required to start to drive this, this, this diversity, this kind of new ecosystem, this new environment. So I would say we haven't necessarily worked um, very closely with them. But we very much are aligned in terms of the, their, their vision and their mindset. Okay. And well, if we take a step back and say, even when we look at the Calgary and Alberta innovation ecosystem, where do you believe we need to focus to become more successful? It's a great question. I, and we're experimenting with that and testing our own assumptions. The thing that really is jumping out at us, and it's back to that prevention idea in a sense, is... We think that the place to invest is in the education system. So a big part of what's required to be able to work in this new way is heavily dependent on talent and a different mindset and new tools and new ways of working. And so we have an opportunity with young people that are going to our universities and our uh, our colleges to kind of start to enable them with different tools and different approaches. So we've been working as J5 very closely with, in particular, SAIT. SAIT is, and their approach around applied learning, 
really aligns well to our approach of learning by doing. So we've been engaging with them. In our organization, we're on a couple of their advisory boards. So we're on the advisory board of their School of Manufacturing and Automation. We're on their advisory board of business. And we're on their now advisory board of culinary and hospitality oh my goodness. management. Which Quite is, involved. Which Quite is, plugged we're, in. We're very plugged in. Yeah. And, you know, as a small or smaller organization, we have to be careful around where we spend our time. And so we're really trying to align with organizations that align with us and have that shared vision rather than trying to go out and convince organizations to align with us. Sure. So SAIT's been amazing because from day one that we started talking to them, we kind of sensed that that mutual um, that mutual alignment, and we are investing quite heavily uh, with them. So I do think that investing in the education and younger people is is the thing that's going to bear the most fruit. It's not going to happen overnight, but I don't think the transformation, any transformation happens overnight. And so we have to figure out how to invest in in earlier stage ideas. So moving away from the ecosystem and looking at J5 in particular, if you were starting out again, Right. What uh, with J five, what would you have done differently? So, I would have trusted my gut a little bit more. You know, when we started the company, our mission statement and our vision before we even had one customer was how can we create workplaces where employees look forward to Monday mornings. That was day one. The mantra. That was that the was the yeah. mantra. Yeah. That was the foundation mm-hmm. upon which we were building everything. It was our why, and you know, we tell our customers all the time whether it's a project or a new business, whatever it is, always start with why, right? What ended up happening though, was we got caught up in all the disruptive stuff that we could have been doing. You know, customers would say, we're, you know, this is happening to our business or this is happening. Oh, well, we better pivot to be able to brand ourselves, being able to address that, you know? And we got caught up in the, the what and the how and didn't stay focused on our why. What's hilarious though about this whole thing is that what's essentially happened is we've ended up six years coming back to that. At the end of the day, our mission at J5 is how can we ignite the creativity and innovation of our clients, which really is about- Their why, their why. Yeah, and it really is about, you know, imagine if we could ignite the creativity and innovation inside these companies for the people that work inside these companies guess what? They would find their purpose. They would find their why. They would love coming to work on Monday mornings. And the, the biggest constraint of innovation is the mindset. It's the, do I come to work every single day thinking about how I can make this place better? You know, I went to Amazon recently in Seattle and had a tour of their business. It's part one of my one of my goals is in personal development goals is how can I start, you know, every three months taking a trip uh, to a uh, an organization and and you know learning a little bit about what they're doing. Now, organizations that that I feel are kind of leaders and doing innovative, disruptive things. So I went to Amazon, and the name of their first building is Day One. So their CEO Jeff Bezos wants everyone to feel like every day when they come to work, no matter if you're it is your first day or it's your five thousandth day, they want people to feel like it's Day One. You're excited. You're all you're interested about learning the business. You're interested in learning about customers. So, you know, at the end of the day, like if we can create that mindset inside of companies, all this other stuff doesn't even matter. You know, the process, the tool, that stuff just people figure out. It's the mindset that's the hardest thing. So 
if I go back to that original vision statement of, you know, creating workplaces that people look forward to Monday mornings, if we would have stayed on that and really focused on that and sold the why and focused on the why, we might have got to where we're at in half the time. So that's great. That's looking back. So if we look forward in five years' time, so what's what will success look like for J Five and as well for the, uh, the Social Impact Lab? It's another another great question. It's something that we're we're working through right now. Actually, at our you know essentially five year mark, we're starting to build our new five year plan. And we're you know uh, I think you know when we started, we were using a lot of very kind of agile, iterative business planning tools, things like business model canvases and. And now as we're become more mature, we're starting to do more robust business planning and thinking about, you know, our competition and all those types of things and where we want to be in the next five years. And I think the one thing that we've realized is that, you know, the way that we attract great employees and the in the way that we attract, you know, great clients and great stories is by by finding projects that really interest us, you know, and so we don't want our growth strategy to be based on a revenue target. We want our growth strategy to be based on the type of work that we're doing and the impact that we're having in the communities that we work in. Working with the Social Impact Lab has been amazing because the outcomes that we're, that we're getting to in the Social Impact Lab are so much more fulfilling than a lot of the corporate work that we've done traditionally. And so it's been pushing us and challenging us, even inside of our corporate work, to make sure that we're we're really pushing the envelope for ourselves to make sure that the companies that we work with on the corporate side, we're solving problems that really matter to them versus just kind of, you know, trying to apply our methodology to, you know, any and every type of problem. And, and so for us, looking five years out for both J5 and the social, well, for J5 in particular, it's more about uh, how, do we, how do we start to continue, how do we continue to diversify? How do we continue to work on really interesting transformational uh, problems and start to build more strategic relationships with companies that want to have a longer term relationship with us or, and around transformation. And so relationships like the one we have with the United Way of Calgary. So I would say we will have fewer customers in the future and more strategic partnerships with them. For the Social Impact Lab, we're at a really interesting place where we basically created a blueprint for this innovation lab. And there are United Ways all over the world. And the conversations that the, the senior leaders at United Way of Calgary are having with their peers across Canada and into the U.S. are about how do we scale this thing that we've kind of built as a prototype across all those other geographies and areas, both physically in the analog, but also digitally. So we are about to launch a digital uh, plat idea management platform, uh, which we're going to be working on over the next few months. And that is really exciting for us. And that's really our next growth phase is how do we take what we do here locally in the physical and start to extend it out on a digital platform, um, which we've acquired and are now in the design phases on, and start to push that out to other geographies uh, globally with the United Way. So that's really our next growth phase with United Way is to take what we've done locally and start to expand it out to other United Ways. Great. So John, for people who are interested to know more about J5 and the Social Impact Lab, how, how can they contact you? So. The the best way to follow us. So if you're a person that's really, you know, we've we've got this really interesting, uh, I guess, idea around how we can build relationships with customers and maintain and nurture relationships. So we've got this kind of fast lane and the slow lane idea. So the slow lane for us is about, you know, if you're interested in just kind of being in being in our um, and following us, you know, social media is a great place. So 
Um, on Instagram, it's uh, J5 underscore design underscore innovation on Instagram. It's a great place to follow us. Um, you can go to our website at www.j5.ca and sign up for our monthly newsletter as well. And that's a great way to follow us. But if you also go to our website and you're interested in, in starting an innovation project or a growth project in your business, uh, right on the homepage, you can schedule a 30-minute phone consultation with us. And so there's a link there that just automates. It's totally automated and you can set up a call and we can have a conversation. For the Social Impact Lab, the, the best place similar is to go to our website, uh, thesocialimpactlab.com. And we have a monthly newsletter that you can sign up for. We also have our social channels at Social Impact Lab uh, on Instagram that you can, you can follow as well. And in those channels, you know, we're always posting the activities that we're doing. When we have events, we're, we're inviting people out, both for J5 and the Social Impact Lab. So, you know, whether you're in the fast lane or the slow lane, there's, there should be a channel for you to kind of get engaged with us on. Great. Thanks. So, John, I did want to say thanks for taking your time today and for sharing your story. Thanks for having me. So this concludes today's episode of the Rainforest Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-source, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social-barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This podcast was made possible by a generous contribution from Zinc Ventures and is hosted by volunteers from Rainforest Alberta. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.